0: Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a story, told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Get the wording there. The ground produced. Right? The ground produced. I'm sure the dude worked hard and all that. But there's something about the ground producing. A good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. We will go that far. How about that story for you? So Leo, Leo Tolstoy, ever heard of him? War, wrote War and Peace? Of course. Have you read War and Peace? Not me. What is that, this thick? Uh, anyway, some, some people consider him the greatest novelist of all times. So he's also written a bunch of short stories. One of them is called this, entitled, uh, How Much Land Does a Man Need? Remember the, remember the title of that, how much land does a man need? In the story, I'll summarize it, it kind of goes like this. There's a Russian peasant who was told that he could have all the land that he could circle from sunup to sundown. So as much land as he could walk around from sunup to sundown, he can have that land. So the guy rose early with the sun and he began to walk. Uh, by mid-morning, he decided that he was walking too slowly, so he decided to walk a little bit faster uh, and, and, and then because he wanted to get as much land as he could. And then by mid-afternoon, in fact, he wanted so much land, he's like, I don't have time to eat lunch, so he skips lunch. Then it gets to mid-afternoon, and it gets really hot outside, and the man is like, okay, I got to walk even faster. Uh, and by, by mid-afternoon, he's... He, from head to toe, he's just soaking wet with sweat, right? And then uh, he it gets towards evening and he decides, you know what, I need to run. And so he starts running. It's still really hot outside. He wants to get more land, as much land as he can. And, and his lungs are demanding more air than they've ever demanded before. And his heart is beating so hard. Harder than it's ever pumped and beat before. But the man thinks, I still got to go faster. I still have to go more because he wants more and more land. And then it gets to the point where the sun is about to set. And so he begins to sprint as fast as he can as he comes closer to the starting point, which is his finishing point. It would make him the largest landowner in the district. And just before he gets to that point, he falls over dead. How much land does a man need? They buried him in a hole six feet deep and two feet wide. You're welcome for that story. (laughs) Greed, obviously that's a story that's about greed and what it does to the human heart and what it does to the human psyche and decision making is about greed. The story that Jesus tells this guy who comes up to him, it's a story, it's a parable about greed. So there's a certain farmer who has a bumper crop, right? He's got the biggest yield he's ever gotten before. And he's like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my existing barns and I'll build bigger ones so I can store all of this yield that I now have. Oh, it's gonna be so good. Apparently, greed makes you think irrationally because why are you tearing down your old barns and building new ones when you could just add on to your other ones, brother? I mean, come on now. And then he thinks to himself, man, I've got enough for years. I'm just gonna take life easy. I'm gonna eat, drink, and be merry, and everything is gonna be fantastic and great and wonderful. I can relax. Oh, it's gonna be so good. Then God shows up. Actually, maybe God has been there the whole time. And then God says to you, you fool, like tonight your life will be demanded from you. And then who, who's going to get all your stuff? Like you haven't even thought about that. That never even crossed your mind. It was all about you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What am I going to do? I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. It's and then Jesus says, this is how it will be for anyone who only lives for himself and isn't rich toward God, greed. It's a story that most of us have heard before. And really, it's a story along with Tolstoy's story. It makes us a little bit uncomfortable because we see ourselves in those stories, at least if we're we're honest, right? We want what we want, usually more than what we need, and we want to keep what we have all to ourselves. Look, here's the deal this morning. And I know your bellies are full. It's a little warmer than normal in here. This is not an invitation for you to shut your brain off and not listen, because here's the truth. I'm not going to say anything this morning that most of us haven't heard already. Like some of this is, it's the same old, same old, but I'm hoping that you'll, you'll be willing to listen and you'll be willing to participate, because I think what we're talking about this morning uh, is pretty significant. And I hope that this morning, even though you've heard most of this before, um, I'm hoping that Maybe today will be the day that we actually decide to live like we've heard this stuff before because Jesus has some pretty significant things to say about greed. It's our choice. Like we can choose to listen and act if we want to. Jesus isn't going to force it on us. Right? He tells a story, just inviting you to listen, inviting us together to enter into this story and just listen. He's not going to force it. Here, here it is for you. You decide what to do with it. And that's sort of the way that Jesus works. And I think his interaction with this guy, he's got some pretty significant things to say about greed. And the first one is this. Greed is something that we need to guard against. It's something that we need to guard against. Right? So Jesus gets right to the point. There's this guy that comes up to him and he says, You got to tell my brother to share the inheritance, to split it up fairly. And Jesus says, Man, why are you? I don't need to be involved in this. And then he says, Watch out. It's very emphatic. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. It's almost as if he's saying to this guy, Look, before you fix this thing with your brother, you got to get at what's underneath. And most of the time there's always something underneath. Right? Before you're going to before you're going to fix this thing with your brother, you got to you got to get at the underlying greed that's just below the surface. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Watch out, he said. I love it. It's almost as if this is like greed personified. Watch out. Greed personified almost as if it's like a, like a thief ready to come and steal our souls or it's like an animal lurking in the bushes ready to get you. He wants us to have our, our senses heightened up, right? Watch out, beware, look out. It reminds me of those signs that you come across on a fence that says, beware of dog. Like, there's a dog in there. You hop the fence you're going to be in trouble. Beware. Watch out. This also makes me think of the seductive power of greed. Greed will disguise itself as something good and beautiful and alluring, and it will try to, it will try to seduce us. So Jesus here is using words that are very serious and very emphatic. Watch out. Greed is something that we have to be on guard for. Right? We have to guard against. It's something that will come after us almost as if it's hiding in the bushes. Look out. And if we have to be on guard against it, then we probably ought to be aware of how greed gets to us. We probably ought to be aware of how our attitudes towards the things that we have and the things that we own and our possessions, how are those things formed? And the ways in which they're formed, most, for most of us, it's through our eyeballs. Right? It's through, it's through the interwebs. It's stuff we see on TV. It's the the advertisements, the stuff that that our neighbors have. Let's think about ads for a moment. The ads we see and read, they're really seductive. And most of those ads don't make rational arguments about why we need those things. They just set them out there, make them look really beautiful, help us to feel those needs... And then the people in the ads look super happy and like their lives are really amazing and awesome. And if we have these things, if we buy this stuff, then we will be like the people that we see who are living in, oh, it's glorious. And this happens from anything from Cialis to Legos, right? It's like, oof, I just had that. My life would be perfect and beautiful. Or what about this? I read somewhere, and I don't remember where, it was a long time ago, that the person who invented merchandising, like the person who decided, we're going to put stuff out in the aisles and people can walk around so they can touch it and look at it and pick it up and, and feel it. The person who invented merchandising was the smartest person who ever lived. Because think about merchandising. It plays on our sense of greed. It's seductive. It used to be when you walked into a store, there was a person standing behind the counter, and you would ask that. This is way back in the olden days. Some of you are old enough to remember this, right? Maybe. (laughs) You walked in. (laughs) I'm not naming names or pointing fingers. You walked in, and you asked for what you wanted, and they would go get it for you and bring it to you. Like, if you're old enough to, to have watched Little House on the Prairie, you know what I'm talking about. So now we don't even think about it. We're so used to it. This is, this is the water in which we swim. Like, we go in, and it's all right there for us. We can touch it. And we can feel it. How many of us have walked into a store like Target or Walmart or wherever, and we've got a list of things that we're going to purchase because we need them, and then you walk by this one thing, and you're like, ooh, I like that. And you decide right there on the spot, I'm going to grab that. Anybody? Yeah. You actually raised your hands. Participating. I like it. Right? So for us to guard against greed, we have to be aware of how it gets us, how, we, how it comes after us. We have to be aware so that why? We can make a good decision. Right? Is this something I need? Or is this my gut response to this thing of greed. It's like, be on your guard. And then here's the thing, I know you've experienced this. Even though you go into a place and you see something, you, you've decided, I might want to buy that, but you think to yourself, ooh, do I really need that? Then you begin to rationalize in your brain why you need the thing you don't really need and you know you don't really need. Anybody ever done that? Greed. It comes after us, right? Be on your guard watch out for it. That's the first thing. It's something that we have to guard against. Look out. It's hiding in the bushes. It's going to come get you. So you walk into Target, have your senses heightened. Be on guard. Watch out. That's a good word. Here's the second thing I think this interaction and this story that Jesus tells says. He says greed is different than for every one of us. Greed is different... For everyone. He says, be on your guard for all kinds of greed. Isn't that interesting? All kinds of greed. There are different kinds of greed? Isn't greed just, isn't it just greed? Right? He says, I think he's, he's saying that it comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes and colors. See, here's the deal. How greed manifests itself in your life will more than likely be different than how it manifests itself in my life, right? How many of you like ice cream? Love ice cream? Everybody. That is fantastic. Dessert, just dessert in general, right? How many of you, when someone offers you dessert after a meal, you're like, oh yeah, like 75 to 100 percent, like you're going to eat that right? Here's the deal. Not a big fan of desserts. I'm just not a dessert guy. Judge me if you want. That's fine. I don't know why. Just not 75% of the time I'm like, nah, I'm good. Like if we go to Pizza Ranch, people are like, I got to eat my pizza quick so I can get ice cream and the cactus bread. I'm like, nah, no thing. I'm just going to have some extra pizza. Like you go after that. I'm going to eat some more bacon cheeseburger. That's how greed manifests itself in my life, you are with me on that one. So the people you are sitting next to, they will… They, greed will manifest itself in their life in ways that you'd never dream of, and the opposite is true. Right? There are all kinds of greed. It's different for every one of us. There are some of us who are seduced by anything electronic, like the next phone, oh, I've got to have that. Some of us buy houses, cars, clothes, shoes, status, wealth, all kinds of greed. That list goes on. (laughs) Am I right, shoes? All kinds of different greed. How does it manifest itself in your life? Just take a moment. How does it manifest itself in your life? What do you spend most of your money on? Where do you spend your time? Or here's another question, what's that next thing? Like I'm convinced that most of us have that next thing that we want. Like it's that next thing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's the thing that's next. That's the thing I'm working for. That's the thing I want. Ask yourself the question, is that something I need? Is that something that I have to have? Like, is it functional? Is it really literally going to make my life better or, or not really, right? Greed will manifest itself differently in all of our lives, right? All kinds of greed, right? Here's the last thing I think Jesus is saying. So be on guard, all kinds. It'll affect you differently than it affects me and everybody else. Last thing is choose Choose a life full of meaning. He's saying, choose a life full of meaning. Choose a life of significance. See the story that Jesus tells isn't a condemnation of possessions and things and stuff. In fact, the implication in the story is that these things are a gift from God. The ground produced. Sure, the farmer worked hard, but even the farmer knows that, oh my goodness. Things went really well this year, and it wasn't because of me. It's pure gift, pure grace. So it's not that possessions are bad. In fact, it's a gift from God, right? It's not evil. So the key to understanding this is when Jesus says this, a person's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The significance of our lives isn't measured by how much stuff we have, right? What makes us truly rich, what makes our lives truly significant, is what he says at the end, being rich toward God. How do we be rich toward God? That's a good question. How do we be rich toward God? God. I think it's important for us to think about this idea within the context of the life of Jesus and some other things that he said. We'll talk about it within the context of the life of Jesus in a little bit, but here's something that he once said. There was this one person who came up to him and said, Jesus, what's the most important thing, the most significant thing? And what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So there's some sense in which one of the most important ways in which we are rich toward God, show love toward God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, is by loving our neighbor. Choosing a life of meaning, of significance. Shane Claiborne, have you heard of Shane Claiborne? Anybody? Yeah? He's uh, one of the founding members of uh, a Christian missional community called, called The Simple Way. Uh, they make their home in Philadelphia in one of the roughest neighborhoods downtown. They're trying to be the presence of Jesus in downtown Philly. Uh, a while ago, at least a decade, he wrote a, wrote a book called The Irresistible Revolution. Uh, I recommend that to you. It's a good book. Anyway, in it, he talks about how they got their start. He and a few of his friends from college would just at night go downtown Philly and spend their time with people who don't, who don't have homes. And the things that they saw, the things that they experienced there made them want to totally change the ways in which they live their lives. They wanted to then live lives of significance. They saw one woman who every night would fight really hard to get a meal from one of the late night food vans because they only had a certain number of meals. They asked her, is it worth the fight every night to get a meal from that van? And she said, of course, but this isn't for me. There is a woman just around the corner who lives in that alley over there who can't fight for a meal for herself. So every night, I have to fight for a meal so that she can eat, right? They saw a street kid get 20 bucks panhandling, and after he got it, he immediately went around the corner and shared it with all his They saw a homeless man put a pack of cigarettes in the offering plate in one of the churches downtown because it was the only thing that he had to give. They they met one seven-year-old homeless girl, and they asked her, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she said, I want to own a grocery store. They asked her, why do you want to own a grocery store? And she says, because I want to feed all the hungry people. They saw homeless people living lives of significance. When we hear about that seven-year-old girl, we think to ourselves, oh, how cute, how naive, right? But if that's all we think, then we just aren't listening to her, right? Her poverty, her homelessness, has removed the, the blinders that most of us wear that we don't even know we're wearing. They're blinders that make us see only the things that we want to see, but she doesn't have those, right? She's forced to see things that we would rather not see. She sees need, she sees hunger, and in her seven-year-old brain, she's like, where do people get food? The grocery store. I wanna own a grocery store not so that she can fill her own seven-year-old tummy for all the things that seven-year-olds want to fill their tummies with, like candy and popcorn and pop, not for herself. She wants to own a grocery store so that she can give food. She's seven years old so that she can give food to the hungry people. There's something deep inside of her seven-year-old heart and soul buried in there And it's something that I think we all have if we're willing to tap into it. She wants to live a life of significance and she knows that to do that is to serve others. Jesus is saying, be rich toward God. Live a life of significance. Use what you've been given to bless other people. Of course, we know someone whose life took on significance for the world, right? the ultimate life of significance. Jesus chose that life of significance. Think Think about the riches that he enjoyed in heaven with the Father before he became one of us. Think about that. And this book tells us that those things weren't things that he saw as something to be grasped or held on to. So he let go of them and became a human being. And he did that. He wasn't greedy. He let go of them, emptied himself, became a human being so that we could see exactly who God is in the ways in which he lived his life. That's pretty significant, wouldn't you say? Now we know what God is like because Jesus wasn't greedy. He let go of himself, became one of us to show us exactly who God is. And then we know it went one step further. At the end of his life, he gave his life away. He could have stopped it, but he gave his life away and ultimately showed us exactly who God is not violent and angry and striking back, but a God of self-sacrificing, self-giving love so that we could look at that and really know who God is and live in relationship with him. He did all of that so that we could, so that we could experience the presence of God in a supper. Right? In this bread and this cup now and in this community together and we've got we've got a choice to make like we could keep all this stuff for ourselves or we can offer it to the world now we've heard all this stuff before most of it now we get to choose Are we gonna live our lives like we've heard this stuff before? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this story. It is a gift. Do what you do. You're speaking to us in very different ways, each and every one of us. Do what you do. Help us to listen. Help us to act. Amen. As we come to the table... We recognize that the Lord's Supper is a feast of remembrance and communion and hope. We gather together and remember that Jesus became one of us, showed us exactly who God is like, and then gave up his life for each and every one of us so that we might live, be forgiven, and live new lives. We come in communion, recognizing that when we gather here together, Jesus said, I will be with you. We come in hope.